So we are going to stay uh, in our uh, current series of what matters most. Last week, we started a series on our, uh, our values, uh, of what makes us who we are, um, why we do the things that we do. And uh, so our value that we're looking at this morning is actually, it's, it's about family. It's God's family over our isolation, um, that we are going to choose to be together uh, and we're going to fight everything that we can uh, to, to not be isolated away from one another. Um, this week, we were at uh, the conference, as Tim was talking about, and there were all kinds of amazing speakers. You go to something like that, and, you, in, and I don't know, like in your field or your trade, if you go to trade shows or whatnot, I, I always feel I sit there, I'm like, golly, I'm just so unqualified to do what I'm doing right now. And like, you have all these amazing guys and gals who are up there speaking, and, and then I, I but I sat there and, and listened to all these amazing speakers, and there seemed to be a theme that was coming across, but there was one guy who stood up there and gave a lot of stats uh, for us to listen to. And I don't know if you're like a, a stats geek and that, like you like to geek out on that kind of thing. Like stats don't really do anything for me, um, just not at all. But I do care about the results. I, I do care about what the stats are telling us. And so he gave us some realities of where the church in America is right now. And so with, without boring you uh, to death, um, what I will say is the long and short of it is the, the theme of kind of what kind of kept coming across at the conference, but also what this fellow was saying was that people just aren't really going to church anymore. People just aren't going to church. And you're like, well, I'm here, right? So like you're here, you're sitting here. You guys are the anomaly. Uh, the men and women who are sitting in this room right now, this is not common uh, amongst the nation right now for all kinds of reasons. Like 2020 hit and so COVID did a lot of things to us and pre-COVID things were already trending that direction. And then all the political upheaval and the racial upheaval and how church has responded or not responded. And it can go one way or the other. Some people get mad, some people are happy, all those things. And then the result of that has been that the church um, people just don't, don't go anymore. And, and so there's a fellow by the name of Ed Stetzer who was giving the stats, and he's a uh, preacher, teacher, statistician, uh, podcast guy. Um, he just uh, really engages in the culture of, of Christianity and what's going on in the world and how we engage with that. And so he, he said this. He said, uh, our churches are right now it, throughout America, this is kind of the condition, that we are broken down into thirds. So if you want to think, there's a front third, middle third, a back third. And he said the, the, the front third of the congregation, this is the group of the people, they are deeply committed to the gospel. Um, they are deeply committed to, to making Jesus known in their own heart, but also in, in the world or in their community. And they're deeply invested into the community life of the church. And so they are there, they're in, they're not going anywhere. And then you have the middle third or the, the second third, and it's, they're kind of right there in the middle. They're taking things in. Uh, they come to church sometimes. Sometimes they don't come to church. Sometimes they invest. Sometimes they don't. You just kind of never know where they're going to land. Uh, but these folks are generally fun to be around. They, they like to be around the church when they're there, but it's not a high priority to them. So sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. And then you have the back third, those who sit in the back. Um, and this is not for you guys necessarily who are sitting in the back right now. Okay, so uh, do, you do you feel uh, spotted right now? You know, uh, but he said there's the, the third third. They are, um, they've been waiting for their chance to leave. They've wanted to leave the church for so long, but all the things that have happened in the past few years, they've just said, I'm done. They have looked for ways to exit stage left and some have already done that. 
uh, throughout the past few years. And then there were some who are still holding on, waiting for that one thing. You say that one thing, you do that one thing, or this one thing happens, like I am gone and I'm not coming back. And so the condition of the church in America is, is that way. Um, there, it's broken down into thirds. And those who have left, they have no intention necessarily of coming back to our church, their church, or any church throughout the states. They just said, my hands are up and, I, and I'm done with this. And so there's an interesting dynamic that's taking place in the church with folks just like us who are, who are sitting in the room. And again, there were some people who were deeply invested, but there's also some who just, who just aren't. And the question that circles around the whole group, but specifically that middle and back third, it's, it's a question that goes something like this. Is it even worth it? Is going to church, all the investment, all the time, all the engagement, is it worth it to get up and, and, and do these things? Can, can, I, can I just watch church online? Like we've done an amazing job of putting church online and there's fantastic, there's speakers everywhere that I can listen to. Can I just do church online or can I just do church in the woods? Like, that's kind of how I do it. Like, give me my bow, give me my gun, and I'll just, like, I'm, this is where I meet Jesus. He's out there with the deer, okay? And so can we just do church that way? Or, or I've got ball games. My kids have dance recitals. They have things that they need to be at. And so, like, I can catch church later. I can do it online, or I can catch another, like, I can do that sort of thing. Uh, and it's not gonna matter to, really, to me and to my engagement, and it's not gonna matter to my kids if we just miss another service. And can I just tell you, like, like, dads specifically pay attention right now. Like, there is no bigger lie that we have going on uh, or that we might be telling ourselves or that we might be listening to others that it doesn't really matter for ourselves or for our kids if we're at church or not. Because there's a lot, it's not just about showing up, there's a lot going on. But what we've been doing, if we continue with the rate that we're going with, with this realm, we are raising, what's happening is we're raising a generation of kids who, who, who know how to hit a ball, right? They can blast it off of a tee or, or they can catch it. They can catch a touchdown in the end zone. They can, they, they can uh, get a sack. Like we are raising boys and girls who know they've been discipled into sports, but they don't know how to open their Bibles, they don't know how to search the scriptures and mine it for the truth of God, where true treasure is. They don't know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus who is all in on him because we're seeing discipleship happening in other ways. We're gonna be discipled. We're gonna disciple our kids, but what are we discipling them to? Do they know how to hit a ball? Do they know how to open up the scriptures? Do they know how to pray for the world around them? Do they know how to engage with what's broken and ask the Lord to intervene? Do they know how to pray that God would bring heaven on earth? Do they know how, like, what are we teaching our kids? And so there's no greater lie, I, I think, than that we're starting to believe, or I think Satan is actually installing and wedging into our community other than, like, it doesn't matter if you show up. It doesn't matter if your kids are doing, it just, I think we're kind of in that realm. And then so we fight with this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to go to church? Is it worth it to be involved in a life group? Is it worth it to all the work that it takes to, to, to be a disciple who disciples others? Is, is it worth it? And what I mean by worth it is, is this, is the time investment and the vulnerability that it takes, the decision that we are going to choose to actually live differently than the world is living, that we're not gonna be a fish that just swims with the current, but actually chooses to whim, swim upstream against the current so that we're not getting caught up in this mess, that the value of sharing our struggles together and carrying one of those burdens, that's what we're talking about. The commitment that's necessary to gather together to worship. Is all of that worth it to us? 
I, I want you to open up your, book, your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, um, because I think we see a church that is getting off the blocks that this is what they initially start to struggle with, um, or that they are, are, are waging a war against, and it's they're waging a war against isolation and, and, and being alone. And so um, look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Um, so if you're mad at me already, let's turn that attention to the scriptures and see what the Lord has to say about this, okay? And so Acts chapter two, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now in the book of Acts, God is doing something brand new. Right, something that the world has never seen before. He's putting together something called the church. And the church wasn't bricks and mortar. It wasn't stone. It wasn't four walls. A lot of times what we think about when we think about the church is little C church. Like I'm going to church. I'm going to the building. I'm going to where they have coffee. I'm going to where they have a children's program. I'm going to where they teach every once in a while. I, that, I'm going to church as opposed to the big C church that we become a part of when we give our lives to Christ. And so what God is doing in Acts chapter 2 is he is establishing not the little seed church, but the big seed church that will eventually gather together like things like what we're doing right now. So it's not bricks and stones. The church was people. It's people like you and me. It's people who had trusted Jesus, who then and in the future are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit when they trust him. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions the disciples, these guys who have been following him around for a while, to go to the whole world and to share the gospel. He says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. This was the call that the disciples had. And it's not new in this moment. If you scan back a couple pages in Matthew 28, this is the call that was given to every disciple who's going to end up following Jesus. So you and me, we're, we're not waiting for what's being preached in Acts chapter 2. It's happened and we are a result of what's happened in Acts chapter 2. We are part of his, we're, we're part of, of the church. And so in Acts 2, Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit uh, that he had promised to send them to equip them with everything that they're going to need to be the church and build the church. If you remember in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, Jesus addresses the Holy Spirit. John 14, you guys, you guys know John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You read down a little bit further in that passage and you get this promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then in John chapter 16, you get this reiterated that Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the, the disciples, to their credit, they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is talking about he's going to be leaving. And when he leaves, he's going to send this helper. He's going to send the Spirit. And they're going to be able to do way more, way more than they could with Jesus right there. They had no concept because they're watching Jesus do amazing things. Like, we're going to be able to do more than what you're doing right now? This is, yes, I'm going to send the Spirit. And when he comes, oh my goodness, he's going to blow the doors off of anything that you can imagine. And so Acts chapter 2, this is happening. He's getting ready. He's being sent so that they can be the church and build the church. And so now the Holy Spirit is there. He's come with amazing authority and amazing power. And listen, 
There can be no church without the Holy Spirit. Amen? There can be, like we can't live. Let me try to get this right without making too many people mad. We try so often in the church to be the church on our own authority, on our own power. We try to do the things that the Lord has called us to do on our own authority and our own power without plugging into where the power source is. As a pastor sometimes, man, still like let me stand up here. But there are times where, and I'm sure you felt it, that I've been up in, I've stood up here and the spirit has been, has had nothing to do with it. Because I have operated out of my own power and my own authority, which is very limited. And, and, and if the Holy Spirit is not involved, I have nothing to say of any value. If the Holy Spirit is not involved in your life while you're doing ministry, it has, not, it has no value to that. That's ouchy, isn't it? But we cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit being involved in our life. If It's going to be that stuff at the end of the day where when things burn and the, the work that God has required from us stands and then there's other things that burn off as chaff. Without the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of chaff that's going to be burned up and hit the ground that we thought was treasure and gold. So we have to operate out of the spirit. And so wherever he is, the church is. Wherever you are, if you're empowered by the spirit, that's where his church is. And so there can be no church or a group of people gathered together calling themselves a church if the Holy Spirit isn't there. He is the key ingredient to the church. So think about before Jesus um, goes to the cross. There wasn't much of a following for Jesus when he's teaching and preaching, Right? Like we see crowds that are physically following Jesus around because he's doing miracles. He's doing what people want for them. People are walking around the hungry and boom, Jesus brings bread. Wow, how did he do that? People are hurt and they have disease and they want healing and boom, Jesus shows up and he brings healing. And it's amazing. There are people who are possessed by demons and just acting crazy and nonsense. And Jesus comes in and he casts out demons with all kinds of authority and power. These people have seen amazing things by Jesus. And so he has a following, but these are people who are curious about the things that he, he, he's been doing. But there weren't many people who were following him because they believed that he was actually the Messiah. The prophets talked about one who would come, who, who, would, who would be our salvation, who would deliver us from evil. There was, there, there was prophecy that there would be one who would come, who would, who would build his kingdom. And Jesus was the one, but not many people, a handful of people, it was actually a low number who actually followed him believing that he was the Messiah. But then Jesus, he goes to a cross. He gives up his life. We see the curtain tear in the temple. Mercy, grace, forgiveness show up. They enter into the picture. And now, because Jesus has gone to the cross and there's been a resurrection in Jesus, there's access to God. When Jesus dies and he resurrects, now you as a believer have the opportunity to have extreme and close access to God that wasn't there before. And so 50 days later, after Jesus resurrects, a little over a month and a half, the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost. And now, again, the Holy Spirit is on the scene. And Peter, who's a disciple of Jesus, y'all remember Peter? So for some of us, Peter is our favorite because we watch him and we listen to him, we read him like, that's probably how I would do it. Like, I, I, And he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. Some of you are like, man, I'm, I kind of identify a little bit more with Thomas. I doubt sometimes. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm a Bart guy. Like Bart, like we never really hear him. He's kind of back in the shadows. Like, that's me. Like I just kind of hang out. 
But for some of us, like Peter is our guy, right? And we watch him and we listen to him. And this brother just denied Jesus three times, right? There were people who came up to him and like, hey, weren't you with that man? <laughs> no. No, no, no. I think we saw you with that man. I don't know what you're talking about. No, we saw you. I don't know anything. I don't have anything to do with that man. And then Jesus comes back from the dead. He comes to Peter and, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep then. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I just told you this. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. And he asks them a third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, Peter's kind of like, are you not hearing what I'm saying? No, I told you. I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And now you've got this guy who has been, like, I'm denying Jesus. Like, I don't even want people to know that I was walking with him because I'm more concerned about my life than, 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 than following Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit falls in in Jerusalem. And now Peter is preaching and 3,000 men and women are coming to Christ and, and going out to be baptized. 3,000 people trust Jesus. He is now preaching the lights out in Jerusalem. Now think about this, Jesus, he's been teaching people for three years and he's got a handful of following. Peter denies Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up and he preaches and now 3,000 people come to know who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's involved. The Holy Spirit is doing some work. 3,000 people from all over the place, from all kinds of upbringings and backgrounds and different languages that they speak. And, and I don't want us to miss what's happening in, in Acts chapter two. This newly formed community of faith the thing that they do from day one in a culture that is religiously plural and diverse, a culture that is morally bankrupt and confused, they are ethically and morally confused, they're they, 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 they spiritually confused. In the middle of that, with that as the backdrop, these brothers and sisters who have just received the Holy Spirit, who have trusted Jesus, they start to gather together with one another to learn, to grow, to worship, to eat together, to share one another's burdens. They're doing what they were supposed to do as the church. And I think that there's another reason that the church begins to gather together because I believe that there are strength in numbers and they knew that. Do you, do you believe that? That there, like when you're trying to stand by yourself against the grain, like how much more difficult is that if you've got three or four brothers and sisters come along like, hey, I'll stand with you. I'll do this with you. You don't have to do this alone. It's a lot easier. Like, that's why there's a song called uh, One is the Loneliest Number, right? I don't know if that's the name of the song, but, but it's reality. One is lonely. But you put two, three, four, five brothers and sisters together in the same place, then there's, there's strength in numbers. And we've seen the illustration, haven't we? Like we've heard, you've heard pastors use this. It's such an easy illustration. That's why we use it. Like, you know, National Geographic, you got a little, little cheetah here and you got little antelopes or, or gazelles kind of off doing their thing. And, and you see like this, the, the herd mentality. Like we're strong together, right? You've got gazelles and stuff. They're doing their thing. They're frolicking around. But then there's like, there's like always one. Right? There's always one who's kind of off back in the distance. He's like picking daisies or like been just looking at, the, looking at the sky and just fall. And there's a cheetah or a lion who's kind of in the background just watching, waiting his time because he knows he's got no chance against the herd because if he goes against the herd, the herd's gonna defeat him. But if he waits and he watches long enough and he sees the one 
that is isolated, who's falling behind or who's lame or who's forgot that he's supposed to be with the crowd. It just kind of goes off. And then when the time is right, the isolated one gets pounced on by the cheetah and the cheetah takes him out. There's danger and isolation. There's strength when we're together. Uh, the danger of isolation is that we, be, we begin to believe things that we would never believe when, if we were together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We begin to think things of ourselves or think things of others. We begin to do things that we would never do, uh, that we ought not do. And there's no one there. When we isolate ourselves and put ourselves on an island and we're not around the body of Christ, there's nobody there to say like, there's nobody there to check us. Like, bro, like how you're acting right now, the way that you're treating your wife or the way that you're treating your kids, that's not cool. The way that you're responding when somebody talks, like that's, that's not cool. Or what you're starting to believe, like you're kind of going down on a theological trail that's off. But when we are isolated, we don't have somebody to check us and the call is on it. And sometimes that's what we want. We want to just kind of go off and do our own thing. But that's not what scripture calls us to. That's not what Big C Church is. God has called us to, to be together. There's danger in, in isolating. Um, the church got together and they hung out from day one because they believed that God's people gathered together was infinitely better and stronger than God's people alone. For the church then, it was worth it to them to take the time to gather. Practically, let's just talk practically. Why is it worth it to gather together? Well, let's just say let's, like, they got together and they ate together. Because eating by yourself is boring. Eating by yourself is lonely. Anybody ever like had dinner by yourself? Yeah, yeah. Like whether you want that to happen or it's just kind of happened to you, like it is very lonely to eat by yourself. I, I remember uh, not too long ago, I don't remember where I was flying, but I was in the airport and I had a real long layover. And uh, I was like, what am I gonna do? While, while I sit here and wait, I'm like, well, I'll just go eat something. And uh, honestly, the Cowboys were playing that night. And so I, I was walking around and I was looking for a restaurant that was playing the game. And so I found uh, a restaurant and I went in and I sat down and they brought like a, a bowl of chips and, and salsa. And usually I have to worry about like how much, how many chips I'm eating and how much salsa I'm taking up because there's more people at the table. But I didn't have to think about it. I was just mowing down just all by myself. But then all of a sudden I was like, this is lonely. Like I'm sitting here and I'm all by myself. The game is playing. Other people got people they're hanging out with. And I start sitting there. I'm like, man, this is kind of fun, but I feel like, oh, that's so lonely. And, and it wasn't fun. The value of being together keeps us from being by ourselves. We get to eat together and spend time together and fight isolation. And does it mean that we're never gonna be lonely? No, we experience lonely. Even when we're in groups sometimes, depending on how willing we are to share with one another, we're lonely or not lonely, right? So it doesn't totally take away loneliness, but it gives us an opportunity to be in connection. If you're somebody who comes to, to church, whether it be here or, or somebody else, and you go by yourself, I wanna say praise God for you. Because it is difficult to get up and to go to church all by yourself. But I also want to say, if you're coming to church and you're alone, you're not alone. Because there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of this community with you. So never feel like you're alone. Engage with the body. Practically, why else is it worth it? Because putting our finances together is better. It's easier to meet needs than it is by ourselves. Like if I just put my own $5 in, 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 a, in, a, in a, um, a situation I see a need and I'm like, here, here's five bucks. 
Like that might meet like a small need, but when you start to pull the, the cash flow, the finances and the blessings that God has given us as a community of faith together, we're able to do so much more collectively than we would be able to do apart. And so God has um, uh, encouraged us in Acts 2 to throw it in the pot together so that we can meet larger needs. Um, why else is it worth it? Because sitting with somebody at, at a church service is always better than being alone in, in a room by yourself. I, I remember I was, I was uh, just joined the army. I'd been a believer for like two years, okay? 1999, I gave my life to Christ. 2001, I joined the army. And I was in Fort Hood, Texas. And you want to talk about an armpit. Like this was the armpit. It felt like there was nothing. That, like, there was, it was kind of, I mean, it was all right. I'm, if, you're, if that's your hometown, I'm sorry. Um, but that's, that's where I was, clean area. But it was like, I mean, it was kind of like I've moved up because my little town was real small, like smaller than this. Uh, it was a big deal when we got it, like, man, the town went nuts when we got a Taco Bell, okay? Like that was like, we had made it when we got a Taco Bell. But when I went to Fort Hood, there were a lot of opportunities, there were a lot of things, and I was a little fish in a real big pond. And uh, I knew as a young believer, I needed to get to a church, but I didn't know where to go. And so I, I went to uh, one church, it was called Destiny. I go, well, how about that for a name of a church? I'm like, okay, all right, let's give this a shot. I went in there, that's not the church for me, okay? So I left, and then uh, the next Sunday, I went to another church, um, a li little more kind of in my lane, and I went there, and I sat in the back, and there was a, a, a couple who saw me sitting in the back, and they came over, and they sat beside them, and they asked me questions, hey, what's your name, what are you doing? You know, Army, okay, great. And they, and they said, hey, would you come over here and sit with us? And so I, I did. I, I got up out of my seat. And I went over there and sat with them. And then after church, they invited me to this thing um, where young singles get together and they study the Bible. Like, okay, I'm single. I'll go do this thing. And so I uh, went to this Bible study. And I, I don't recommend, like, it just, just because somebody invites you to their house doesn't mean that you have to go, right? Because that could get real dangerous real quick. So, but I felt okay. I was, felt comfortable at the time. So I go to their house. We do Bible study. And I'll tell you right now that my two best friends came out of that group. And had I not been willing, had somebody not come to me and said, hey, would you come and sit by me and not sit alone? I may not have met those guys. Like the Lord is sovereign and all that kind of stuff. But these, these two guys, I talk to them at least three times a week. I bounce things off of them. I, I invite them into my life to, to call me. Like, well, I'm, there's, yeah, you don't need to know everything I'm working through. But I've been talking with them a lot just, just, just this week. And had somebody not come and sat by me and said, come sit with me, that may never uh, have, have happened. Y'all feel that? Why is it worth it? Because gathering together and singing and praying and worshiping together is, is for us, it's practicing what's gonna be happening in eternity. Y'all know like when we get to heaven, we don't go there as, as an individual. It's not just you and Jesus in heaven. Like heaven is populated by men, women, children who have trusted Jesus from all geographical eight, uh, uh, locations, all languages, like we are, we are gonna be sitting next to people that we've never seen before who have loved Jesus and has been worshiping Jesus, but you're also gonna be sitting next to people who are sitting next to you here in this room if they've trusted Jesus. And so if there's tension between you and the person who's sitting next to you or you don't go to the first service because there's somebody in the first service you just can't stand, like if they love Jesus, we're gonna be worshiping together. So this is an opportunity for us to work out our worship and the practice for uh, e eternity. The trajectory of our faith has never been isolation. 
The trajectory of our faith has always been out of isolation and into connection with Christ and into connection with his family. Uh, John talks about it in, in 1 John, that we're, like, like this, we're a family. Like we come together, all right? So practicing being together now is preparing us for eternity. But in order to get that and to understand that, I think that we've got some obstacles to overcome, don't we? We've got some obstacles for that to be our reality because we have one third, one third, and one third that's trying to figure out church and gathering and if it's something that's, that's worth it or not. The reality is that in Jerusalem, people were flocking to the church to, to be around this type of community. This community was so different than what they were experiencing in the culture that people wanted to flock to. They wanted to see, they wanted to understand it. But it wasn't an easy time for people to be getting together and following Jesus because people were getting killed for following Jesus. If you were a follower of the way, it was not an easy road for you. You, you, you fought against being isolated by the community or being segregated by the community, not being able to go get food from the marketplace. But you, you also, you, you were afraid of dying of somebody taking your life. And so their cultural milieu and situation, it wasn't easy for them, but yet they continued to gather together because they identified themselves as followers of Christ, followers of the way, and this is what we are supposed to do. They didn't care. They, being a part of the community was worth it to, to them. Nobody was sitting around on, on, on the Sabbath day and were like, I, I wonder if the chiefs are playing today. I wonder if there's a... Um, there are games down in the Colosseum. Nobody was fighting that temptation to wait for something better to come along on the Sabbath day. When it was time to gather together, they gathered together. To be a part of the church, you gathered. That's what you did. You were a part of something. You were growing. If you were a follower of Jesus, it would have been inconceivable, inconceivable for you to find something better to do than to gather together. Um, but as you go through the book of Acts and the church is expanding, that ideal setting in that situation, it starts hitting roadblocks. And when you read the letters that Paul writes um, in the New Testament, a bunch of them, almost all of them are addressing issues that are popping up. You ever read 1 Corinthians? I feel like I would have ran away from that church. Like, this is not a good situation. And issues like that were popping up all, all over in, in the church. And so you have people who are living in that context with disruption and disunity and all kinds of crazy sin going on in the church. And they're asking themselves, is it worth it for us to keep doing this? Is it worth it for us to put in the mental energy and the emotional energy and the physical energy to show up and to be a part of this thing? And so people are asking this question and some are beginning to isolate from one another, kind of heading off to their own little islands. And then you have the writer of Hebrews come along. And he recognizes that this trend is happening and he sees all the red flags and says, because hold up, hold, like what are we doing? Like we, we can't keep doing this. This is dangerous. God's church gathered together is always gonna be stronger than it is alone. And so we read in Hebrews 10, if you got your Bibles, flip over there. If you're in Acts, just, just keep flipping to the right a little bit and you're gonna land in there after you land through a couple letters. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and we're, we're, we're getting, like, if you're tired of listening, we're getting close. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, through, through the blood of Christ here, through his life, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with, with pure water. Hopefully when you hear that, you heard grace. You heard the confidence that we have to approach God. Like as an individual, because of what Jesus has done, there is no fear in approaching him. There is an open door that we can come and we can sit at his feet and he invites us into that place. So instead of hiding our sin or hiding in our hurt, what the writer here says, he says, draw near, don't run, don't isolate. He says, draw near, you've been made clean in Jesus, verse 23. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, verse 23, there, that, that hold fast, here, here's what that means. It means to have a, a tight grip. It means not to waver. It means keeping confidence. It means stay steady. Don't let go. Now on the surface, when you read that, doesn't that sound like just an American culture? Pull your boots, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I got this. I can do this. I don't need anybody else. Like I don't need somebody to hear what's going on in my life. I don't need anybody's voice to speak in. Like I can do this on my own. Nobody needs to know my business and know my junk. I can keep a grip. I can stay emotionally and theologically on, on steady on my own. I can keep from bending towards temptation. Maybe for a little while, but what about when you can't? What about when you don't? What about when you find yourself neck deep in sin? What about when you find yourself believing truths about you or things about you that aren't true or things about others that aren't? What about when you've gone theologically off course and you need somebody to bring you back? What about when you're on the island and you've been there for so long? It's difficult to maintain your confession of faith without wavering because the cultural waves are so strong and so heavy and the anchor is still moving and you've got nothing to bank on because you've been gone for so long. What about when you can't? Acts chapter two, 3,000 people come to faith and how did they learn how to hold on to their confession of faith and not slip into oblivion? Well, they, they did exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells them to do here. As they experienced and embraced the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness for their life, they believed that God's people gathered together was infinitely better and stronger than God's people isolated and alone. And so they did what Acts 2 did. They did life together. They ate together. They prayed together. They encouraged each other. They met each other's needs. They carried one another's burdens. They worshiped together. They were better together and they were stronger together. And the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Just a few observations out of that passage is when we read it, I mean, it just feels like God has called us to be together. There's a sense of togetherness in there, isn't it? Like, like we're in this together. You don't have to do it alone. Um, I don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this. There's a team aspect here. And the writer, he said, let's approach God with confidence. Let's maintain our confession of faith without wavering. But you don't have to do it alone. He says, let's help each other get there. Let's not get to the finish line by ourselves. Let's take people there with us. And he calls us to consider stirring one another up towards love and good works. And your Bible might say, uh, spur one another on through love and good deeds or um, 
something in that realm, but that idea of spurring or stirring, that, that word means to agitate, to disrupt idleness. Um, and we've used this illustration before, but I think it's good, and so we'll use it again. Uh, how many of y'all like, have, like grew up swimming in, in like a, a, a brown pond, right? Like you got the deck and there's moss and stuff all over and you know that there's things in there, but yeah, you're like, you're like this is where we swim. How many of y'all grew up swimming in the pond? Okay, a, a, good, a good number of us. And, and some of us are traumatized by it, so we just don't even want to raise our hand. Like in the pond, right, like you know, you know there's stuff in there, right? You know there's fish, you know there's stuff at the bottom. That's why you jump in and you don't want to touch the bottom. You're like, but I've been swimming for three days. I haven't touched the bottom since I got in, right? Because you know, like if your toes get in there, like you're like, whoop, like you're down for a while. You're like, it is nasty. But when you're in the pond, when you jump in, that all that stuff that's been sitting on the bottom, what happens to it? It starts to stir up into the water, right? And if you don't like ponds, let's think about chocolate milk. How many of y'all like do like the, the cup of milk and you do the squeezy, squeezy uh, chocolate and like Hershey's? How many of y'all do that? Yeah, some of you it's, it's just too good not to, right? So you like, you, but if you put the chocolate in the cup and you don't stir it, it just sits there. It needs you to agitate it and to stir it until it mixes in with the milk. And then you got delicious chocolate milk. So you got nasty pond water and you got delicious chocolate milk. Stirring and spurring, this is what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do. To stir one another back into the group. To stir one another away from their little island. Stir them up, spur them along. Let's have each other's back. Don't let them sit idle on the bottom. Don't let them sit on your own little island. And for you, it's a call for you to get off the island and get back in with everybody else, to be stirred up. There's also uh, one other thing here. We hold to the confession of our faith. And, and one way that we do that is by being encouraged, by encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near and approaching. When we're isolated and alone, it's hard to be encouraged. When we're isolated and alone, it's hard to encourage anybody else. Anybody just got like, man, you just been down and out and somebody said a word of encouragement to you and it just changed your whole day. Like it changed you. So like this morning, <laughs> this morning I got a, uh, a text message from, from Adeline, my daughter, and I wish I would've brought my phone in here. I told myself to bring it in, but I forgot it again. But uh, so she knew the situation. So I, I, I get this message, I get this call and I'm like, oh, junk. Like, what are we gonna do in, in, the, like, in the next two hours? And uh, so Ashley was working this morning. And so like, I'm dad duty. And so I've got an eighth month old who's crying in the other room. I gotta get up, I gotta get a shower. I gotta figure out what on earth I'm gonna say that's gonna have any landing power this morning. Obviously the Holy Spirit's involved, but these are things that are going through my mind. And, and so I'm just stressing right? And all those things that you're going through when you're trying to get out of the house, I'm doing by myself trying to get up here to preach. And so like I get Audra out of the, the um, whatever it's called, where she sleeps, the crib. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I got her from. And uh, I, 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 I picked her up and looked at her for like two seconds and, and realized she needed her diaper changed and she needed to eat. And I took her downstairs and I said, Adeline, you're in charge. And, uh, and I said, honey, I'm so sorry to wake you up. I'm so sorry. 
And uh, she's like, what, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, Scott's sick. And she's like, oh, this, that's a bummer. So she was sad for him. And uh, then I was like, can you help this morning uh, more than you would naturally be helping? And she said, dad, I'm on it. And I said, okay. And so uh, I left Audra uh, with her and she did, uh, she got her ready. And uh, I came for the first service, got started getting ready. And as I was standing at my desk and I was, you know, typing and praying and Lord, what on earth? Um, I get a text from her. And yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday, we, we were talking about like uh, the pros and cons, uh, ironically, of being a pastor. And uh, this would be a con, right? This would just be one of those like spur of the moment things. Um, but dependence on the spirit, all this, okay. So uh, she asked me, she said, dad, why, why are you a pastor? And so we went through, like I was talking with her about those things. And she sent me the message while I was standing at my desk. And it said, hey, dad, remember, remember what we were talking about yesterday when I asked you why you wanna be a pastor or why you're a pastor? And she said, this is why you've got this. I stood at my desk like, <laughs> just, just like trying to hold back tears, you know, because that word of encouragement that the Lord supplied from my 13-year-old daughter was enough to be like, you know what, we do got this. We, like, we could do it. And, and, and then I got two other messages, and like right, I mean, literally right after that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, when I say right after, I'm not talking about like three minutes later. I'm talking about within seconds after that message. I got a message from uh, a gal named Jamie uh, who has been a family friend from ours. She's a, she's a counselor uh, in North Carolina. And she said, hey, Anthony, I just want you to know that um, we love you and um, I'm so thankful for you. I'm like, where's that coming from? And so like, just a word of encouragement can really spur you along. And so, but when you're isolated, you can't hear those things or you can't deliver those things to other people. So one of the ways that we hold fast to our confession and to our faith is that we're together and we encourage each other all the more as the day is getting darker and darker and darker. So, so what I wanna do is I wanna encourage you to if you're the back third, not physically. If you're the back third in these statistics where you've just been looking for a way to check out and to be gone, I wanna ask you to dive into God's word where, where he's saying, actually don't be gone. Why don't you try to engage? If you're sitting in that middle space of like that, that middle two thirds and you're just thinking, man, like sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm not. Let, let me encourage you to spend some time with the Lord and say, you know what? I'm actually, I'm in, I'm, I'm not wavering. Uh, this matters to the Lord and, and it's gonna matter to me and my family as well. And if you're in that front third where you're just deeply committed, I'm gonna say, praise God for you. Stay there, keep rolling, and then connect with the back two thirds and start bringing them in, mentoring, discipling. And it doesn't just happen here on a Sunday morning. It happens outside of these doors. So let me encourage you for us to be the church, to gather together. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't want to be just preaching to the choir. Um, I want to be talking about things that matter. I want to be talking about things that are close to your heart. And you've said through the voice of others that there is no plan B. <laughs> the church is your plan A to reach the nations. Like, like we're it. And so if we isolate and we cut ourselves off, like, we, like we're vulnerable. And so Father, would you encourage us to come back in 
Would you encourage us to be the church that you've called us to be so that we're strong together, so that we fight together and so that we hurt together and we bleed together and we move forward together and we grow together and we learn together. Father, would you uh, allow us to really believe that it's worth it because you said so and because we personally feel the benefit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.